Shalom, Holy Scriptures and Israel is a ministry designed to share with the Jewish people the good news of the Lord Jesus Yeshua the Messiah and to instruct Christians on the Jewish roots of their faith. And now, teaching God's Word from a Hebrew Messianic perspective, here is Gideon Levitam. Shalom, my dear brothers and sisters and dear friends. We are thankful to the Lord for the privilege that we have to be under the sound of the Word. And we are studying together, beloved brothers and sisters and dear friends, in the book of 1 Corinthians. We have arrived to the final chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I would like you please to turn with me to the 16th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. I would like to read for this portion of our study together the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Please follow me as I am reading. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide ye and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. And I will stop here, beloved brothers and sisters, with the first nine verses of the 16th chapter of First Corinthians. Now this 16th chapter brings the conclusion, the whole letter that Shaul Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers. Now you will notice, beloved brothers and sisters, that in this concluding chapter, the Apostle Paul brings us back to practical behavior and conduct as we are here in this world. To remind you, we just concluded with the study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Apostle Shaul Paul dealt as he was communicating with the Corinthian believers concerning the resurrection of the dead, of 
those believers that have gone to be with the Lord, their soul is in the presence of the Lord, their body is in the grave. And so the Apostle Paul dealt with very, very important doctrinal truths that are found in throughout God's Word of the resurrection of the people of God. In every dispensation, wherever those who have trusted the Lord and follow after Him, they will be resurrected into eternal life to be with the Lord forever. And their body is the body that is sleeping in the ground, but their soul and their spirit are immortal, and the believers are in the presence of the Lord while their bodies are here on earth, and the day of resurrection will come, their bodies will be resurrected and changed and united to the soul and spirit, and uh, together, spirit, soul, and body of the believers, regenerated people of God, will be with the Lord in heaven. We also have mentioned the fact that also the unbelievers' body will be resurrected from the dead, and they will be reunited with their soul and spirit, but they will be resurrected at the end of the Messianic age, at the end of the thousand years reign of the Mashiach, and they will be standing spirit, soul, and body in the great white throne judgment before the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, who is the judge, and he will sadly have to cast them into the eternal lake of fire. That is a sad judgment that Revelation chapter 20 presents this before us. But now we are arriving to the 16th and final chapter of the letter that the Apostle Shaul Paul wrote to the Corinthians. I want you to notice, beloved brothers and sisters, that Paul is responding to a letter that he received from the Corinthians. And you notice he began in chapter 16 and verse 1, now concerning the collection. If you will go back to chapter 7 and verse 1, there Shaul already said to them in chapter 7 and verse 1, if you remember, beloved brothers and sisters, he says, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. Apparently the Corinthians sent him a letter, and they asked questions. How to handle this, or how to handle that? And what about the gifts that the Lord had given to us? What about the resurrection? And, and many, many questions. Here they asked the question concerning the collection for the saints. These are the Jewish saints in the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, and there in verse 1, Paul said, Now concerning things offered unto idols, are they to eat them or not? Are they to purchase them or not? And he expounded in our study, we have already looked over, a response that Shaul Paul wrote to them concerning things that have been offered unto idols. In chapter 12 and verse 1, Shaul Paul responded, concerning the things that has to do with spiritual gifts. 
So, in chapter 12 and verse 1, we read, Now concerning spiritual gifts. And there, in chapter 12, 13, and 14, Shaul Paul answered to the question that the Corinthians asked him about the spiritual gifts and spirituality in the lives of the brothers and sisters in the city of Corinth and how they needed to use the spiritual gifts that the Lord had given to them in a godly way under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God in humility and in love, as the 13th chapter was the chapter of the Agapeo, the chapter that dealt with the manner whereby gifts are to be used in love as they are serving God and God's people. Now, beloved brothers and sisters, in the final chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this chapter deals with three areas of the stewardship of God's people. In other words, what Paul is doing here, he is responding to the question that the Corinthians ask him, and he gives them instruction concerning responsibility and stewardship, how to handle things in our life, in our day-by-day living, such as money, such as opportunities to serve the Lord, and such as people, people in general, whether it is unbelievers in sharing them the gospel, or whether it is people who are part and part of the body of Messiah, how to treat one another, how to handle one another. In this uh, ministry, I would like specifically to deal with the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which deal with, uh, number one, money, and what Paul have instructed the Corinthians to do, and number two, opportunities to serve God and to serve God's people, which Paul have given instruction to the Corinthians. So the chapter has... 24 verses, and in these 24 verses, Shaul Paul responding to the concerning things that they wrote to him, the Corinthian wrote to, to the Apostle Paul, and so in verses 1 to 4, he deal with the questions concerning the collection, funds, money to raise for the Lord's work. Secondly, opportunities to serve the Lord, verses 5 to 9, and finally, verses 10 to 24, he is showing Corinthians how one ought to handle and relate to people, to others, believers, and a part of the body of Christ, and in general in the service of the Lord. So in verses 1 to 4, the Apostle Paul is or collecting money for the saints and for the work of the Lord in general. And so you notice in verse 1, Paul he had on his heart the need to relieve the Jewish believers who became poor in the city of Jerusalem. And that's why verse 1, notice that, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. And as we go further down, to verse 3, you will notice what he's saying to the Corinthians. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, 
Then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So the saints that he has in mind in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 are the saints, the Jewish believers in the city of Jerusalem. And they, they have been so much on his heart, beloved brothers and sisters. Now, let me remind you that when the Apostle Paul went to the city of Jerusalem to present himself before the assembly in the city of Jerusalem, and to show what the Lord was using him to do among the Gentiles, he went to the city of Jerusalem, and as you know, in the city of Jerusalem, basically the believers, they were all Jewish believers in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. They were the early church. That's where the church, the assembly was born. The assembly was born, we might say, with 100% Jewish believers. In Acts chapter 2, when the 120 Jewish believers in Yeshua the Messiah were in the upper room in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit of God came upon them and, and rested on them, and the church was born, the assembly, the ecclesia was born, they were these Jewish believers who came to know and to faith in the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, and they became the foundation of the assembly. That was including, of course, the... Uh, mother of the Lord, uh, Miriam, his brethren as well. And uh, we do read in uh, Acts chapter 1, we read that in verse 13, And when they were come in, they went into an upper room, where there were both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and he, James, this is Yaakov, and uh, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, Zealotus, and Judas, the brother of James, and all continue with one accord and in prayer and supplication with the women and Miriam, the mother of Jesus, of Yeshua, and his brethren. According to verse 15, we do read of Acts chapter 1, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, and he said, and the number of the name together were about 120. And he said, men and brethren, they were selecting there this new one that will be an apostle by the name of Matityahu to replace a Judas or Yehuda Ishkrayot, which committed the suicide, killed himself, and he not part of the apostles. And so the assembly in the city of Yerushalayim were assembly of Jewish believers who came to faith in the Lord Jesus the Messiah, and they, beloved brothers and sisters, because of their faith in Yeshua, in Jesus the Messiah, they became poor, and they became very much in need. They paid a great price, to remind you, that the new dispensation, a new era has begun. Now God is going to reach out to the Gentiles as well, and the gospel was going to be spread around the world, and God is now was forming what we know today as the assembly, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the body of Messiah. To remind you, beloved brothers and sisters, that the Lord 
Jesus the Messiah before he went to heaven, after his death, burial, and resurrection, he gave a command to the apostles in Galilee, and they, of course, returned to Jerusalem, but in the land of Israel, he said, Go, therefore, Matthew chapter 28, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the age, or the end of the world. Amen. And so now the gospel was going to go forth to all people, all nations, and a new dispensation, this is a Greek, come from the Greek word oikonomia, a new economy, where Jewish and Gentile believers will be united together in one body. And that is what we know today as the church, the assembly, the ecclesia. Well, when uh, the apostle Shaul Paul went to Jerusalem and they told the believers in Jerusalem, the apostle, what the Lord have done through him among the Gentiles, in the book of uh, Acts we read it, in Acts chapter 15, how there was the council in Jerusalem, and Paul went there, and then he shared what the Lord had done. And so they really, these Jewish believers in Jerusalem, who are now seeing that there is a united assembly, Jews and Gentiles united together in one body, but they didn't want Shaul Paul to neglect to remember his Jewish brethren that became poor because of the fact that they have trusted in the Messiah, Yeshua, and because trusting in him and uniting to other Gentile believers in one body, they suffered. And they suffered physically, they suffered, we might say, financially, they suffered in many ways, and many of them became very poor. And to remind you, beloved brothers and sisters and dear friends, in the early days of the assembly in the city of Jerusalem, these Jewish believers came to a point that they even had to sell their possession in order to provide some of the possession for the poor and the needy in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding. Now, to remind you, if you remember that as we read in the earliest chapters of the book of Acts, we do read, I'll just read a few verses in chapter 4, where we do read that those early believers, how they had to preach the message of the gospel. They had many things in common, and they were faithful there to continue on together, beloved brothers and sisters. And this was such a wonderful testimony in the beginning of the assembly there in the city of Jerusalem. We do read... For example, in chapter 4, the apostles were let go, and then they continued to preach with boldness, and that they went to their own company in chapter 4 and verse 23, when there were those that were in prison. And then we do read that they were praying, and so on, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart in chapter 4 and verse 32, and of one soul, neither said any of them, that ought of the things which they possessed was his own, and they had all things in common, and with a great power gave the apostle witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. 
neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of land or houses, they saw them, and they brought the prices of the things that they were sold, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being in, interpreted as the son of consolation. He was a levy from the tribe of Levi and of the country of Cyprus. Having land, he sold it and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. It's amazing how they were relating to each other, meeting the needs, because now they were more poor in Jerusalem and in the land of Israel. And the Jewish believers in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, had a need. And so, chapter 5 of the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira also sold their possession. But they did not say the truth, and that's why they died physically, because they were lying to the Holy Spirit of God. Yet, nevertheless, the Hebrew Christian, or the Messianic Jewish believers, became poor, And when Paul came to the city of Jerusalem to speak to the apostles, you notice what they told him. According to Galatians chapter 2, in verses 9 and 10, Paul said that they requested from him to remember his brethren, his Jewish brethren. We do read in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived of the grace that was given unto me, and they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the Gentiles, and they they unto the circumcision. So Paul and Barnabas went to the Gentiles, and James, Yaakov, Cephas, Peter, and John went to the Jewish people. And what they did, he says in verse 10, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. In other words, they ask him, Shaul, Paul, do not forget your poor brethren in the land of Israel, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem and the surrounding, because they paid a great price in order to become followers of Yeshua, preach the gospel and to the Gentile world, specifically the apostles, begin in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth, and the message of God to all the nations of the world. So Paul, don't forget the Jewish believers who became poor in the land of Israel. And Paul said, I really made it a point to which I also was forward to do. And as we do read a little bit later on in the book of Romans, and in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul reminded the Romans of the burden that he had, and that he wanted them as well to remember that. In Romans chapter 15, we read in verse 25, at the end of the Gospel, Paul said, But now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Listen to this, beloved brothers and sisters. He never forgot his Jewish people and also their Jewish 
saints, the early believers, and he never forgot. He said, I'm going now to Jerusalem, to the poor saints which are in Jerusalem. It has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And then verse 28, When therefore I have performed this, I have sealed to them this fruit, I will come to you into Spain. So Paul says, look, I have done so. I have longed to fulfill the request of the apostles, not to forget the early Jewish believers in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, because they became poor. And I realized the need to minister to these Jewish believers. And you notice what he says in Romans chapter 15, it has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them carnal things. And now, he, why does he say that, that the Gentiles benefited from their spiritual things of Israel? Well, simply because this. Because through the Jewish people, the Word of God came to the world. Through the Jewish people, the Messiah came to this world. Through the Jewish people, the Scripture came the written word of God came. Through the Jewish people, blessing came, the apostles, and so on. Uh, salvation is of the Jews. Uh, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, said in John chapter 4. So not to neglect the Jewish people is important. And that's why the people of Macedonia and the people of Achaia, and so he commended also the Corinthians. He said, if... If, notice, the Gentiles have been partakers, made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And this is such an amazing principle, not to forget the Jewish people, and in the context, of course, of our chapter, not to forget the Jewish believers in the land of Israel, and to seek to encourage them and to meet them in the practical way in supporting them as they became poor for the sake of the Lord Jesus the Messiah and for the sake of the gospel. So, in these verses, you will notice, beloved brothers and sisters, that Paul is now, in the first four verses, he is dealing with the funds that were raised for that particular purpose to provide and to meet the need of the Jewish people. So he reminded the Corinthians and he expressed the fact that this is needful and he gave them instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in the first four verses. So notice this, beloved brothers and sisters, what the Apostle Paul instructing the Corinthians to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I'm reading verse 1 once again concerning the collection. Notice the collection for the saints. So from this we understand it is for the saints that are the Jewish saints in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, at the end of verse 3 he says, 
I will bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. He says, for I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So he's saying in verse 1, he's appealing to them the need to collect funds for the Jewish believers in the city of Jerusalem and in, in the land of Israel. And now, beloved brothers and sisters, he gives them instruction. And I think it is so beautiful to see there is a principle that we learn here from what the Apostle Paul instructing the Corinthians in the second verse. Notice he says, upon the first day of the week, Let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. Notice the instruction that he's giving to them. First of all, he's giving the instruction that this giving or this collection ought to be on the first day of the week. Now notice that on the first day of the week. Why on the first day of the week? Because the believers began to gather together on the first day of the week. The Shabbat ended. And the first day of the week began at evening, after sundown. And they were gathering on the first day of the week, which means Saturday night after sundown in the evening. And they were meeting there to begin to be occupied with the person of the Lord, to worship Him, sing to Him, to study His Word, to pray together, and if you remember in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we read, And they continue steadfastly in the apostle doctrine and in fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayer. So they began to do this once the Shabbat came out. And the Shabbat comes out always on the Saturday Shabbat sundown after the sun is down around 6 p.m. It changes, of course, from winter to summer. But the first day of the week always began at the evening. Not in the morning, but at the evening. The first day of the week was immediately when the sun went down on that Saturday, that Shabbat. And the evening began with the first day of the week. It started already in the evening. Now, now, why it is important to mention this, that it is in the evening, there is no written verse today, thou shall do it that certain time when it was given to Israel with respect to the Shabbat day. Israel had to keep the Shabbat day. It was part of the law that was given to the nation of Israel. But believers in this present day dispensation are called to remember the Lord, to gather together. And you can see that the instruction apparently that was given to the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that it was on the first day of the week. Because apparently, by the time that the Apostle Paul was writing this letter, sometime around 59 AD, the assembly was already some 27, 28 or 30 years of age, and there is a structure that was already given to the believers in the first century. It's appearing for us here to see that they were gathering together on the first day of the week. And just to remind you, beloved brothers and sisters, that they were gathering usually 
on Saturday evening, which is biblically the first day of the week. How do we know it? Notice that I'm just going to read a few verses. We read in John chapter 20, where after the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, we do read in Acts chapter 20, and there we read verse 19, notice that, Acts 20, and verse 19, we do read, And the same day at evening, notice it is always an evening, at evening, at least that's the way the Jewish believers have kept gathered together on the first day of the week, on the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples assembled together, for the fear of the Jews, this is the Jewish leaders, because the disciples were Jewish as well, came Jesus and he stood in the midst and saith unto them, Shalom Aleichem, peace be unto you. So it is clearly that they gathered together on the first day of the week, Shabbat have ended, the first day of the week began after sundown, on Saturday evening, after sundown, the first day of the week, biblically speaking, and they were meeting together immediately there to gather together to be occupied with the Lord. The, the Lord's table, they remembered the Lord in His death, and they also learned from the Word of God, they worshipped God, they sang songs, they were studying the Word of God, they were praying together. It was a fascinating experience when the early assembly were gathering together, and if it is ought to be fascinating experience for us in our life today, when to gather with the believers, to be occupied with the Lord Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Notice in verse 26 of John 19, after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them, then came Jesus, Yeshua, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them, said, Peace be unto you. In Hebrew, Shalom Aleichem. And you notice, beloved brothers and sisters, that the first day of the week was an evening meeting when they were gathering together, as we have already read it in verse 19. Now, this principle have continued on throughout the early days, and as we move along to Acts chapter a 20, and there in Troas, we also read how when the saints came together, Paul, Shaul came to minister to them. We read in verse 7, I'll read from verse 6, Acts 20 and verse 6, And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. We came unto them to Troas in five days where... We abode for seven days, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continue his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber. You notice again, it is an evening meeting, going to continue after the sundown on Saturday night, which is the first day of the week, biblically speaking, he was preaching to them after sundown, 6, 7 o'clock. They were gathering together, and Paul was continuing to be in his speech until midnight. Maybe three, four, five hours they were together there. 
Uh, six hours they were together, and then there were many lights in the upper chamber. Obviously, it was an evening meeting where they, they were gathering together, and if certain men by the name of Eutychus even fell asleep, he was so tired. And then Paul raised him, and he brought him up to remember to break bread. And how wonderful to see that this is took uh, place in the early days. Now, uh, Scripture shows us, beloved brothers and sisters, at least eight times in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, the first day of the week is mentioned in relationship to the resurrection of the Messiah. You know, the, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, He rose at the end of the Shabbat, on Saturday night, just when the Shabbat ended, as it was dawning towards the first day of the week. That was an evening again. Notice that, Matthew 28, 1, in the end of the Shabbat, and it began to dawn towards the first day of the week. The Shabbat is always ending in the evening. After sundown, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre, and he was no longer there. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 2, very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. So he was no longer there because he rose already. The evening before, the first day of the week, which is Saturday evening after sundown, which is biblically the first day of the week. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 9 we read, And when Jesus was risen early, first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, and out of whom he cast seven demons. In Luke 24 verse 1, And upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. Now he was no longer in the tomb, was empty. John 20 verse 1, First day of the week came Miriam Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and she sees the stone already rolled away from the sepulchre. John 20, verse 19, we just read, when the first day of the week at evening, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled together from the fear of the Jews, came Yeshua, and he stood in the midst, and he says unto them, Shalom Aleichem, peace be unto you. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, which we read, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, but he continued to preach until midnight. And then here is the final time that we read the first day of the week. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. This is so interesting, beloved brothers and sisters, as we read these first two verses of First Corinthians chapter 16. Now let me just mention, before we move along to the next verses, in the Word of God, the days always begin in the evening. In fact, when creation it took place, according to Genesis chapter 1, we always read the order of the concluding of the day of creation. We read in Genesis 1 verse 5, And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning was the first day. Verse 8, and the evening and the morning was the second day. Verse 13, and the evening and the morning was the third day. Verse 19, and the evening and the morning was the fourth day. Verse 23, and the evening and the morning was the fifth day. 
Verse 31, and the evening and the morning was the sixth day. It's always evening first. And that's when the gathering of the saints was in the, especially in the context of the Jewish believers in the land of Israel. After they ended the Shabbat day, they were as Jewish people, they were with their families, some of them. They needed to learn to understand that now they are on a different ground. They are on the ground of the new covenant, the Brit HaChadashah. And therefore, the binding of the Shabbat day that was given to Israel, the nation, was not binding upon them any longer. But as Jews among their own people, in the land of Israel, the Shabbat is a Shabbat where, in general, there was no manner of work being done, but they came to remember Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, on the first day of the week. Now, just to further establish this before we move along, according to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 18, the Lord said to Israel in the first month, on the 14th day of the month of at even, notice once again, at evening, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at evening. In other words, the Passover began always on the 14th day of the month at even. Always in the evening and ending at the evening. Once the evening ended, sundown, then the new day began immediately after that. In Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 5 we read, In the fourteenth day of the first month at even, it is the Lord Passover. So we understand that when Yeshua celebrated the Passover with his disciples, it was an evening meeting. And that's why he's introduced the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, during the Passover. It was That's why the disciples met together later on in the evenings on the first day of the week, which is Saturday after sundown, when Sunday, the first day of the week, began. According to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 32, God gives this instruction to Israel, It shall be unto you a Shabbat of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls, this is in connection with the Day of Atonement, in the ninth day of the month, from even unto even, shall ye celebrate your Shabbat. So it is very clear, beloved brothers and sisters, that in the early days, the first day of the week, when the disciples gathered together, it was an evening meeting. But it was after Saturday, after Shabbat, after sundown, the evening there began was already the first day of the week, biblically speaking. Now over the generation, around the world, in among the believers, they have met together already the following day in the morning. You know, that's why in various assemblies and churches around the world, the believers gathered on the following morning to meet the Lord, on, but it's still within the first day of the week. So this is important just to see how the early believers met together and yet it was the first day of the week because the first day of the week speaks of the resurrection of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. It's a new beginning, a new beginning on a new ground. 
And the first day of the week was a day to remember the Messiah and his death, burial, and resurrection. The Shabbat day was the, the only command that God had given that is not carried through to the church age. Why? Because it was not given to the church. It was given to God's earthly people, Israel. It was a sign of the covenant between God and his earthly people, Israel. The church was commanded by God to be holy, and the Jewish people were to set this day apart for God because God had instructed his earthly people, Israel. And no one could violate this from among the people of Israel because God hallowed this day to himself. Again, we read in Exodus 20 and verse 8, we read, Remember the Shabbat day to keep it holy. Six day shall thou labor and do no work, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of the Lord thy God. And in it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy servant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. For, verse 11 of Exodus chapter 20, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in it, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Shabbat, they hallowed it. And therefore he gave this command. It is a sign of the covenant. The Shabbat day is a sign of the covenant, not between the church and God, but between Israel and God, according to Exodus 31, verses 12 to 17. And therefore, now in this present day dispensation in which we live in today, we are not putting down the Shabbat day. We are not saying it is a bad day. No, it is a holy day that was given to Israel. But for us as believers in this present day dispensation, we are as believers, Jewish and Gentiles believers, are not under the binding. It's not a law, but it is a guidance from the Word of God to come to be around the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, on the first day of the week because he rose on the first day of the week and had placed us under the ground of his resurrection. This is important to mention as we are studying together this final chapter. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches in Galatia, even so you do upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. Now, verse 2, we learn another important principle. That giving are to be personally, and that giving are to, are to be systematically, and that giving are to be proportionally. In other words, verse 2 teaches us, notice what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, notice this expression, every one of you. In other words, it has to be a personal exercise before the Lord, individual exercise. It is a personal decision in one's heart, and it is 
important to see that everyone is to recognize the need to give to the work of the Lord. In the context, of course, is to give towards the poor saints in the city of Jerusalem, which Paul was going to carry this gift to them. But every local person in the local assembly, giving should be a personal thing. And that's why the word every one of you. Secondly, notice that, in verse 2, Paul said, Lay by him in store. Lay by him in store. Giving is to be systematically. In other words, make a decision as before the Lord what one is giving, and to lay it by, and to provide this on the first day of the week, personally to provide it as there is a collection for the Lord's work and for the saints of God and in the context here for the poor in Jerusalem to collect and to lay in store every first day of the week because the saints were gathering together on the first day of the week. They came to remember the Lord on the first day of the week, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, in remembrance of Him. They came to give worship and praise the Lord in the first day of the week. They came to remember his death, burial, and resurrection on the first day of the week. They came to learn from the Word of God, to hear ministry of the Word of God. They came to pray together on the first day of the week. And therefore, they are to systematically lay by him in store. But then thirdly, you notice, that giving is to be proportionally. Notice that, I'm reading again. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, number one. Secondly, lay by him in store. And thirdly, as God had prospered him. Here we learn that as God prospered one, one is to give in a proportion to what the Lord had provided this brother or this sister. This is so beautiful because... God prospers some more and some less, and therefore grace giving to give out of the heart as the Lord prosper. Some that the Lord prosper more may give more. Some that the Lord prosper less may give less. But the point is that giving is to be personally, giving is to be systematically, and giving is to be proportionally. In Second Corinthians chapter 8, we do read, it's so beautiful to see that Apostle Paul said, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God that God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You see, he's connecting this with the ministering to the saints, of the saints in Jerusalem and the saints that are in need. He says, and this they did not as we hoped, but first gave 
their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love, that ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty ye might be rich. Paul was writing to them concerning their giving, and how wonderful it was a grace giving. In chapter 9, Paul continued to speak of their grace giving, and he said to them, Every man, notice that in verse 7, Every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not gradually or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So, Paul is emphasizing the fact that giving ought to be proportionally, giving ought to be personally, and giving ought to be systematically in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And now, beloved brothers and sisters, verse 3 and 4, the collecting, the giving that he collected, he will planning to be taken and to be brought to the saints which are in the city of Jerusalem. So he's saying to the Corinthians in verse 3 and 4, When I come, whosoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. In other words, when I come to receive all what you have collected over the time for the saints which are in Jerusalem, when I come, I will also, if need be, I will bring with them your liberality unto the saints which are in Jerusalem. Notice he used the word I will bring your liberality. In other words, it was not by force. The giving that they were to give was to give out of the abundance of their hearts, as we have read in 2 Corinthians 8 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul mentioned this in verses 3 and 4, that when I come, he's going to come to the city of Corinth, he's going to take all what they have collected, and he's going to take with letters to take along with them letters. It would send some approved individuals to go and to bring the funds to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And then if it will be possible and needful, the Apostle Paul would go along with them. Now that in verses 1 to 4, Shaul Paul spoke about the collection for the saints, this became a pattern throughout 
all the local assemblies, the first day of the week is a time where they will gather together to remember the Lord Jesus, the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and His death, burial, and resurrection, to praise Him, to acknowledge Him, to learn from the Word of God, to pray, but also to have the collection for the work of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul was so thankful for their willingness to support both himself and the Lord's work, but also the saints in the city of Jerusalem. Now, in the next verses, beloved brothers and sisters, verses 5 to 9, Paul now is sharing with them about opportunities. How important it is to use uh, opportunities in ministering to God's people. And so you notice that in verses 5 to 9, Paul is sharing with the Corinthians the opportunities that the Lord had given unto him. And by saying this, he is encouraging all believers to use opportunities, open doors to serve the Lord and to minister the gospel, to establish the saints, to edify God's people, to shepherd the sheep and Notice what Paul is saying this, first of all, about himself. In verse 5, Paul planned to come to Corinth. To remind you that he had a vision in his mind, in his heart. Notice he's planning to come to Corinth. So we read in verse 5, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. So he's planning. Although he trusts the Lord, but he still make a plan. And it is healthy for us to make plans in our lives as to what we intend to do, but always to trust that the Lord will be the one that will instruct the believers. In chapter 11, in verse 34, we read the second part, And the rest will I set in order when I come. He already said, I'm going to set in order when I'm coming. I'm going to come to you. I'm planning to come to you. And here in chapter 16 and verse 5, he's mentioning this. Now, I will come unto you, and when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. So he's sharing with them his plans. I'm planning to come, but I'm planning to go through Macedonia before I will arrive to you. So, Paul planned to do God's work, but he always wanted God's will to do God's service. And so while he is planning, notice he says in verse 6, Paul planned to winter at Corinth. And so he says in verse 6, he says, And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey uh, whithersoever I go. So Paul wants to do God's will. Although he's planning, he's very orderly, he's, he's very precise, he has plans, and it's so good for us, beloved brothers and sisters, to have plans in the Lord's work, because if we want to do the Lord's work, it must be in the Lord's way. And plan is right, but to wait on the Lord as He lead us 
through a plan, because plan may change, but it is healthy to have a plan. And Paul shows us here that he planned to come to Corinth, he planned to winter in Corinth, but notice what, what we read in verse 7. The Lord may change Paul's plan. In verse 7, Paul says, notice that, For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you. And notice at the end of verse 7, If the Lord permit. This is such an important statement. If the Lord permit. So, we have a plan. Paul had a plan. But he leaned on the Lord to see whether he will guide him. James said this in James chapter 4. And notice what James said in verse 13 on. He says, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. In other words, James, like Shaul Paul, said, if the Lord permit, if the Lord will. In other words, we can plan for something, but we always have to bear in mind that the Lord may change. Man proposes, but God may dispose of it. And therefore, it is healthy to trust in the Lord and to let Him, in opportunities that He opened before us, it's always important to use an opportunity, but to do the Lord's work in the Lord's ways. And so he spoke earlier in the first four verses about money, about collection. But now in verses 5 to 9 of 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is speaking about opportunities to use for service in the, to serve the Lord, to serve the Lord's people, but always to bear in mind although we may make plans, if the Lord will. You and I know very well that we have to have plans today. Even if you need to fly to another country, you have to have a flight. The day, the time when you fly out, when you land, when people will meet you on the other side, well, you have no choice. You have to make plans. You have to arrive a few hours to the airport, and you have to realize that you need to set up time to in order to prepare for a trip, for a visit. Same thing if you drive or if you go on a ship. It is common sense. But the Lord may change our plan and things might come differently, but always as both Paul, Shaul Paul and Yaakov James, if the Lord will, if the Lord permit. This is an important uh, lesson to learn as we read in this verse 7. In Hebrew, uh, it says, Im yiten Adonai. It's so beautiful because it's an expression that is still used today. Im yitze Hashem. If the Lord will allow me to do that. It is according to His plan. 
and his will, beloved brothers and sisters. Now in verses 8 and 9, Paul continued. And Paul tarried in Ephesus until the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Shavuot, at Pentecost. And so we read in verse 8, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, until Shavuot. Why? Because Paul wanted to go to celebrate the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Again, to remind you, although he was a believer in the Lord Jesus the Messiah, he was part of the assembly, but he... As a Jewish person, certain things were precious to him. He's not been under the law. He taught that he will write to the letter to the Romans and he will instruct that we are the law pointed to the Messiah. The Messiah came and he fulfilled the law. And But yet the Apostle Shaul Paul as a Jewish person that has a custom. And so he says, notice, I am going to go to wait in Ephesus until Pentecost. And eventually, of course, Paul did go to Jerusalem. According to Acts chapter 14, we read in verse 27, there we read concerning when they were come and they gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God has done with them and how he had opened doors of faith unto the Gentiles. And he was speaking now, of course, concerning the time of the fact that the Lord have opened the door and ultimately he have gone to be at the Feast of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. You will find it mentioned in Acts chapter 13 as well. And beloved brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul sought to minister to the saints and to go to travel and to go ultimately to bring the gifts that the believers said of the nations have provided for the Jewish saints in the city of Jerusalem. The verse in Acts chapter 24, we read in verse 17, Now after many years I came to bring alms to, to my nation and an offering. He brought them eventually to the saints in the city of Jerusalem. Now in verse 9, beloved brothers and sisters, we do read, and with this we will conclude for this meeting. First Corinthians 16 and verse 9. Ultimately the Lord opened doors. And again, for the Apostle Paul, many, many doors were opened by the Lord. And he sought an opportunity to enter through these doors. Although he had much opposition. And so we read in verse 9. And a great door, and effectual is open unto me. But then notice what he says. And there are many adversaries. There were many who opposed Shaul Paul. Although doors were open, but he had much opposition, beloved brothers and sisters, as the Apostle Paul served uh, the Lord. Uh, isn't it amazing? We do read in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Listen to these verses. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have us for an example, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are an enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, whose mind earthly things. In other words, Paul said, follow me, but they are enemies of the gospel. And there are those that are seeking to harm 
the gospel, the work of the Lord, and therefore to be aware of the fact that there are always those who oppose the work of the Lord, yet to trust the Lord to help us to enter through doors that he is open for his people. It was Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when he, in burden for Israel, and in burden for the city of Jerusalem, he wanted to come to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And we do read in Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, and verse 10 and 11. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build a wall. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. Adversaries came against the building of the work of the walls, in the work of the Lord, in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, in the day of Ezra, and Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. There were always adversaries, whether it is in Israel's history, those who opposed the Jewish people, and the people of Israel who sought to harm them, or whether it is in a church age in which we live in today, there are always adversaries. There are always adversaries, beloved brothers and sisters. And Paul says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 16, For a great door and effectual is open unto me. But then he adds, And there are many adversaries. Beloved brothers and sisters, we have to bear this in mind, that if you're going to do the Lord's work, there will be always opposition to the Lord's work. And therefore, one need to wait on the Lord, to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way, and the Lord is the guide that will guide His people to do His work. The Lord Jesus, the Messiah Himself, experienced opposition. God's servants themselves in the first century experienced opposition. Paul himself has experienced opposition. And if you and I are going to do the Lord's work today, we will experience opposition as well. But the Lord said, and I will close with this, in John chapter 16, before Yeshua the Messiah have gone to suffer on the cross to die, he said to them in verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Shalom. In a world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, overcome the world. And as we follow him, he will enable us to continue on and to build, to build for the kingdom of God, to be a blessing to God's people, and to be edifiers, although there will be opposition as we enter through the doors that the Lord is opening unto us. And so, beloved brothers and sisters and dear friends, may the Lord encourage us all to continue on to enter through the doors and in spite of opposition to serve the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, and His people as we share God's words among God's people. 
Well, the Lord bless you. Until the next time, we say Shalom, Shalom. You have been listening to the Holy Scriptures and Israel with Gideon Levitam. Gideon teaches God's Word from a Hebrew Messianic perspective. For more information about this ministry, write to Holy Scriptures and Israel, Box 1411, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, L0S1J0, or visit our website at holyscripturesandisrael.com. You are also invited to Gideon's weekly Bible teaching on Fridays at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m at Willowdale Christian Assembly Hall, 28 Martin Ross Avenue in Toronto. Holy Scriptures and Israel is made possible by your prayers and financial support. If you would like to support the program, visit holyscripturesandisrael.com. God bless you. Shalom, shalom.